0: Everyone, and welcome to the CBIA BizCast. I'm Shannon King, and my co-host, Alex Page-Hatley, is out of the office today. We recently sat down with Ari Santiago, president, CEO, and founder of IT Direct, a technology-managed service provider in Hartford, Connecticut. We had a great conversation with him about how he started his business, the importance of change management, staying positive about the future of Connecticut, and also some of his personal favorite places in the state. We hope you enjoy. So Ari, thank you so much for um, inviting us to your office here at IT Direct. Um, we're really excited to have this conversation.
1: Yeah, your office is beautiful. I love all the, the Red Sox <laughs> memorabilia. And there's and
0: there's a dog in the hallway.
2: <laughs> yeah, Casey, the office dog, is very very popular. Not only for the people that visit, but for the people that work here. So he's been a he's been a wonderful addition to the uh, IT Direct uh, team. Yeah, great, sure. great,
1: good for morale. Yeah, absolutely,
2: absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for coming. I really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, here. In my views and have given me the opportunity to sort of talk about my vision of like IT direct and business in Connecticut. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So just to start off, you know, tell us a little bit about your background. If people don't know who you are and a little bit about IT direct, you know, how it started and what it is now and where you see it going.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so I'm a Connecticut kid, uh, born and raised uh, in West Hartford, uh, you know, my entire life. Um, you know, lived here, went to, you know, school and high school here. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought I was thought I was going to leave. And so um, I ended up going to college in Boston, which was great. Went to Tufts. Um, it was super fun. And um, I ended up coming back sort of on a lark. My, um, well, I probably should start by saying I've sort of been entrepreneurial forever and ever. Um, you know, my first business was either um, buying huge boxes of bazooka Joe bubblegum and marking them up to sell at school um, or uh, I started my first IT business when I was um, like 14 or 15 uh, we used to this is way back in the day uh, we used to build computers and sell them uh, when I was in high school so um, so I've been really in business you know all the time and um, in high school I ended up kind of having a business. The early precursor to IT Direct, actually, where we used to go and work with small offices, including my mom's office, who was a dentist. So when I was living in Boston after uh, college, my mom had called and asked for some help with their IT network. And so I ended up coming down in what I thought was going to be, um, you know, three to four months we're um, going on. Uh, 19 years and counting, wow. um, that I've been, that I've been in town. So, um, but it really worked out great. You know, I ended up uh, coming back here, uh, working in her office and then one of her patients gave me an opportunity to work at their business, which is in West Hartford. Um, and I thought that was going to be temporary. Um, but then they kind of got me to stay. And shortly thereafter I realized my entrepreneurial kind of genes kept calling. So I worked at that place for maybe, two years. And then I left to start IT Direct. And so IT Direct was started as like kind of a dream uh, with the desk at the foot of my bed in an apartment in Hartford, uh, believe it or not, uh, in a Hartford high-rise back before there was lots of Hartford apartment high-rises. Um, and that was really the beginning. So that's what we've, that's where we've kind of been in where we've come to. So, um, I guess I'll keep going if you're all right. Um, sure. Yeah. So, you know, so we really started just by myself. My first employee, uh, his office was the couch in my living room. Uh, believe it or not, I used to do my interviews for my first employee at Tussain on Farmington Avenue, Hartford, uh, coffee shop. So that was really interesting. You know, people would apply to an ad. Um, and then I'd be like, Hey, we're going to meet at this coffee shop cause I don't actually have an office and I don't want <laughs> random people coming to my apartment. Um, and you know, that was, really it. I was super, super fortunate. Uh, the company that I worked for um, consulting environmental engineers um, was really great. And the owner of that company, John Grunigan, who unfortunately uh, passed away after a long battle with Alzheimer's a couple of years ago, was really, really helpful and gave me the opportunity to convert my job, which was kind of running their IT department. It was a, about a 50, 60 person firm, convert that into kind of an outsourced relationship. And that really was helped me to start with this one great client and sort of built from there. And uh, now IT Direct is two offices, one in Hartford, uh, one in New Haven. We're about 64 people. Um, you know, we serve all clients. Um, almost all clients are headquartered in Connecticut, but we have offices that we support as far flung as Japan and Pakistan. Um, so it's, uh, it's pretty cool.
1: That's amazing. So, you know, starting out from your apartment and to where you are now, what is, what is the number one need you see that your company fills for, for businesses?
2: That's a great question. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, what I saw having worked in a, in a small midsize business, right. Was that Um, the need for technology, and by the way, so this is back in the late 90s, it's even more so now, you know, the need for technology in business was only gonna grow. And it didn't really matter what business you were in, businesses that were investing in information technology and learning how to leverage it were the companies that were gonna succeed going forward. And I still think that that's true today. Um, But what I also realized was, you know, small and mid-sized businesses, say even businesses with a few hundred employees, if you wanna have all of the talent and skills that you need to take advantage of that technology, man, it's expensive. So you really only have two options. One is you kind of get a Jack or a Jane of all trades, and you just accept the fact that for 20% of what they know, they're great. And for 80%, they're adequate. I didn't think that if you wanted to be a great business, you could live with 80% adequate. And I saw that kind of even when I was running an IT department. And so at the time, I'd looked to partner with other firms outside and didn't see a model that made sense. And so with your true entrepreneurial spirit, when you see a problem that needs to be filled, I was like, I think I could fill that problem. I think I could do it better. I think we could come up with a system and a solution that will deliver technology partnership that will allow our clients to gain a competitive advantage by harnessing the power of technology. That was the mission we started with, and that's our mission today.
1: So it kind of feels like what's built into what you do is change management, Mm. and that's probably a huge part of helping these companies come into 2019 or 2020 or wherever you're helping them. How do you approach that, especially with some of these companies that are so far behind?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, one of the things that's been super great uh, in having the wind at our backs is that. The number of people who think technology is not important gets smaller and smaller every single year. You know, I joke around about when I first started IT Direct in 2002, I have debates with people. I don't know if debates is the right word, but people would argue with me about why they would ever need to get email on their phone. Or like, we would talk about remote access for work from home. And they're like, people work enough at the office. They're never going to want to work remotely, (laughs) you know, like, so, you know, all these things that now are just so anachronistic, right? Like now, if someone doesn't have email on their phone, you're like, what, you know? Um, So it's, so that has been, I think a benefit to me that people have come to where I was, And I haven't had the people come to me. I think something I've learned in business a long time ago is, you know, I always say don't try and shake a happy monkey out of a tree, right? Like, I'm not on a conversion mission. I'm basically, you know, speaking my truth and what I think is real about business and what I've seen that works and trying to find other people that agree with me. I'm in a lucky position that more and more people are agreeing with me um, that are disagreeing with me. So, I'd say I don't have to change people um, as much as people are changing to kind of come, you know, to where I am. So that's kind of what I'm saying. They're not coming to
1: you until they're 100% ready to make that change. Correct. Uh, And we're
2: out there kind of telling the story. Where there is more change management, I would say, is implementing systems, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, people are out there now. I think we've seen a big conversion, not to get too much in the technical weeds, but I'd say that email kind of exploded right and then behind that spam and how many people at work feel like my god my inbox is like always crowded it's hard to find am i am i responding to the latest email in the chain you know oh you responded but you didn't see the two emails after that And so there's other like kind of streaming messaging platforms that are different, like Slack or Teams that are out there. And so I think we find these great new tools and where we need to find change management is helping clients absorb those tools. And how do we get them into their environment so that they're absorbed and used versus like technology that you buy that doesn't ever get used? So that's where we work hard at that.
0: Have you had any, um, with this change management, have you seen any pushback with your clients, like internally with them? You know, obviously you're advising them on what new technologies to use and implement, but do you also help them with that internal struggle if there is any?
2: Yes and yes. Um, (laughs) I mean, I, I, I I think human nature is anti-change for some reason, you know, um, you got a lot, go- everyone has a lot going on in their life, you know, not just at work, but at home. And it's like, change is like, Oh, one more thing, you know, that I got to deal with. So I think part of what we do is help with that communication perspective, right. Mm-hmm. Is in, and you know, it's, it's sort of simple, but most things I find are simple. It, most things are, are simple. They're just hard to do consistently. Um, like managing your weight. We we're just talking about that in the kitchen earlier today <laughs> with some people, like, as you get older, right. It's just harder, you know, we're, we're talking, to a kid who's 22, you know, was born in 1997, which was like blowing my <laughs> mind, you know? And, and he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I just eat whatever I want. And I'm like, yeah, cause you're 22, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you get older and so it's pretty simple, right? It's like, what are the calories that come in? How much am I working out? That's going to tell me what I got to do. Right. But it's easy to say hard to do. And I think change management and communication is the same way. So when we want to put in a change of a system, the important thing is we've got to explain, you know, whether it's to you, Shannon, or to you, Alex, if you were a customer, What's the benefit you're going to get out of it? You know, sort of that what's in it for you kind of concept. Here's the value you're going to get and explain that and sort of talk about that and then talk about the change coming. It's coming. You know what I mean? And lead up to it Mm -hmm. so that it feels a lot more palatable.
1: Right, right. And, you know, I feel like especially when you're talking about changing technology at someone's job. And and we've talked about this on the podcast before. It is like taking a piece of their identity and saying, listen, you're not going to do this anymore. And and part of making a successful change is saying, where else can we use that creativity? What else do you want to do? I I wonder with the companies you work for who have implemented your technologies and and gone through this whole uh, procedure with you. What besides efficiencies and everything, what what kind of changes are they seeing afterwards? Like as far as their work culture or, you know, talent that they've seen come in?
2: Yeah, I mean, so where we live kind of in the technology space, right, at IT Direct is we're really all about kind of enabling your business through technology. So we're really like the IT department that brings everything. So it's cybersecurity sort of like kind of company defense. That's always a hard one, right, because increased security usually means a little bit more kind of steps for people and and that's a little bit more ethereal right it's like we're doing this to prevent something bad but every day you have to do a new password or something, right? So, so <laughs> yeah. that, that can be a little bit harder to manage. Um, but I think there's also some fun things we do, right? So you know, we do a lot of work with different companies, a lot of manufacturing companies. And so sometimes we're helping to set up an environment that allows them to receive data from the manufacturing machines that could do predictive analytics on maintenance, that could help them manage throughput and uptime and utilization. And I think there's a lot of excitement with people because they know how much that benefits them. So to me, it it's really just always comes back to we Work with our clients to develop that strategy and see what works for them and then communicate how that's going to make their life better. And so, hopefully, the things that we're doing are kind of self evident. You know, we're usually solving a problem. So, there's always going to be people that don't see the problem or think that the new thing will be worse than the current problem, right? The devil you know kind of approach. There's always those people we're dealing with. But Almost always, there's people that are having that see the problem and are excited for the change. And we want to get those people on board and them get excited. And a lot of times that excitement builds. And once the thing's successful, it usually makes people happier. And the other thing I would say is, and I think this is true across every company we've ever seen, employees are generally happier when they see the company investing in the company. You know, it's like, we got a new coffee machine, right? We painted the walls, like, you know, like even little things like that. So think about the same thing when you get a new computer, you're like, wow, this is sweet. I got a new, right? So when you have the new technology in place and the new stuff, I think that same thing happens. And people see that. And I think that helps, you know, that helps, you know, it's not the end all be all, but it helps.
0: So switching gears a little bit, um, we're going to plug your podcast sure. just a little bit, um, made in America. Um, and in those episodes, you interview lots of manufacturers, people in the manufacturing space. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, and why, why I did that? Why, why you did it?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, there's, so, I mean, look, um, I, at the end of the day, I've been I've learned my entire life that you're either part of the solution or part of the problem. And if you're and wherever you're going to be, wherever that's whatever company that you're in, whatever place you're living in, whatever you know nonprofit you volunteer for, like be an agent for positive change. And so um, I think we do that in two ways. One can be our own personal individual responsibility, right? Doing in my business what I think people that you know, how I think it should be done. Um, and not to switch gears back to IT Direct, but just a quick thing and we can get back to it is. You know, when I started IT Direct, one of the things I always have talked about is I wanted to build a company that I would love coming to work at, even if I didn't own it. And that's been like a guiding North Star for a lot of the decisions, you know, that we've made. Because I want that's the thing that I think is going to be contributing positively to the community here, um, you know, and around me. And so um, I sort of felt the same way, sort of the Connecticut economy at large. Um, I think we've, a lot of times you can get into a rut and Connecticut in some ways has gotten into a rut of like, you know, We've gone beyond the glasses half empty. We've gone to the glasses half empty and getting emptier um, all the time. And and I don't think that that's really necessarily true. And even if it were true, we are the solution that we're looking for. So we have to figure out how to fix it. Um, so how that translated to the podcast is I think I sort of got. Um, goaded or dared into it a little bit, Um, you know, I I talk a lot about how there are so many good things happening in Connecticut. And I see it. One of the great things about my job is I meet with so many different business owners and business leaders, not just from IT Direct, since we service, you know, now uh, like 150 businesses, but you know, I'm involved in a lot of networking groups. I sit on some nonprofit boards. I've always been really interested in business. So I'm in other business groups where we do peer learning. So I talk to business owners all over Connecticut all the time. And there's so many great things happening. Um, And so I would bring that up pretty regularly when people would get negative. And somebody finally was like, well, listen, if you think there are so many good stories, why don't you go and find them? And I think I was kind of like, fine, I will. And so (laughs) that That was sort of the impetus behind Made in America, that I could find something positive and a company doing great things, um, every week for 52 weeks of the year. Um, and so I think we've released 18 or 19 episodes, um, of made in America kind of true to that. So, um, we're definitely going at least a year. Um, and uh, that was it. And it was really behind kind of getting those great stories out. And the reason that I picked manufacturing, um, to, you know, to, to talk about and to go after, I think is, is twofold one. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people know this about me, but I'm, I'm kind of like a romantic and, um, and I'm, I feel really romantic about the... manufacturing history and legacy of Connecticut. You know, um, I always like kind of get like a little perked up when I drive by the Colt building, you know, um, we, you know, we, my first office uh, outside of my apartment was in an old manufacturing building in Hartford. That was right across from well, was the old Royal typewriter factory. You know, there's so much history. Um, I mean, jet engines, which are still here, you know, Connecticut had such a big role in, you know, sort of that second industrial revolution and doing so much and not really romantic about it. And so, um, I knew that there was a lot happening in manufacturing that I think a lot of people didn't know about. And I thought here was a really great opportunity to reconnect us to our roots and share that manufacturing isn't the sort of like dying, dark, dirty, dingy, you know, Connecticut history. It's the, you know, lean, green, and clean, amazing Connecticut future. Um, And there's so much cool stuff going on. So um, that's why I decided to do manufacturing.
1: Since we're on the... the looking at the glass half full sure, kind of please. track yeah. you know it's cba we get CBA we get criticized sometimes for uh, looking you know a little bit um <laughs> on the, the dark side of things sure and i wonder if you have thoughts on how we can you know approach these lawmakers and push for change while not saying like look at how bad things are what's yeah. what's the other option
2: that's a great question. Um, I figured you guys would ask me this since I've been pretty vocal. Um, yeah, listen. You know, I think. Well, listen. Let me start with foundational, right? I think that um, we we get more of what we think about, and you know, we not to get all kind of like yoga on you or whatever or Yoda, but I do believe that we manifest what we what we think about. So if all we're talking about all the time is negativity, 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 we're gonna we're gonna get more of that. And so people at CBA aren't gonna aren't gonna remember me saying this, but you know, I think at IT Direct we've I think objectively at IT Direct, we've built a good we've built a good business, right? Like we do great by our clients, we've grown very consistently for a long long time. We have great customer retention, great employee retention. I think objectively it's a good business. Not not to brag, but just factually. But I could still spend every single day finding things we do wrong. Right? Like if I wanted to, I could spend all day every day beating everyone that works here over the head with every little mistake that they made. And I think the net result of that is they would all quit and I would have no company, right? And so I kind of look at going around Connecticut and beating people over the head with the negativity is essentially the same kind of strategy. And I just don't see how that strategy is gonna be successful. And moreover, it hasn't been successful. The playbook's been tried and it don't work. So why would we think that continuing to do the same thing over and over again is gonna get a different result? So that's kind of my foundational kind of belief. Now, having said that, we can't ignore things that go wrong. And I don't think we should do that in our businesses either. I don't pretend nothing bad ever happens. I just look at it and contextualize and say, okay, we have some things that we could do better. What's the most important thing that we're doing wrong that will be in alignment with our mission and our vision of IT what we're trying to achieve. And then let's focus on fixing that thing. And let's put all of our energy into fixing that thing. And once that sort of resolved or, or at least not no longer the number one thing, then we can move on to something else. And I don't know why that same strategic approach can't be taken to kind of improving, you know, the business climate, you know, in Connecticut. Um, and I'll just add one more thing, you know, Alex, and I'll stop and let you ask me a question. Cause look, you got something there, um, (laughs) is I think that business climate, you know, is some part facts and some part feelings and, I think that you, you facts take a long time to change or not a long, but take time to change some long, some not as long, but feelings can be changed much faster just by the tone that we use, the approach that we take and like how things are there. And I think positivity breeds more positivity. So that's really where I'm at with it. And, and I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I know Shannon, your, your lobbyists are going to be doing some of that work uh, you know, advocacy work and I, you know, I don't I don't talk to lawmakers a whole ton, so I I don't really know, but it seems to me like they would wanna hear more about positivity and things that they could impact positive change for, you know?
0: We're both uh, Connecticut born and raised, um, Ari and I, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. Like maybe it was different when you grew up, like has this changed over time? Cause I feel like for my lifetime, which hasn't been very long, but um, (laughs) (laughs) in recent memory, Yeah. Connecticut used to have a lot going for it, but because of like just many different things, whether it be, you know, the business climate or, you know, the state income tax and things like that before my time has sort of created this environment of negativity and it's sort of, it's continuing right now, but people like you and biz other businesses are trying to reverse that. So has it always been that way? Is it something
2: well, I'm not that, I'm not that old, Shannon. Let's go with that. Let's uh, go with that. I didn't, um,
0: I didn't mean
2: that. No, no, <laughs> um, I, you know, so listen, so, you know, I mean, I was a kid in the eighties, you know, a young kid, so not really, so just sort of sensing what was going on, but not really having any clue. Uh, and I would think that that's, you know, at that point, certainly uh, I think the business environment at Uh, you know, in Connecticut, certainly in the Hartford area and whatever was, was a, you know, go, go, go. Like I I think, I I don't think I'm quoting this incorrectly, but I believe Hartford was in like the seventies and eighties, the fastest growing second fastest or fastest growing real estate market in the country, um, you know, tied with Seattle or second to Seattle or something like that. Right. So that, that was pretty big. Um, I think that, um, you know, I'm I'm just not a policy person in depth, so I don't I don't like to get too far out of my lane. Um I think that people put a lot on this whole like tax question. Um, and I and I'm not sure how much reality there is to that. Um in two ways, right? So so one way is there's a lot of high growth areas um that have high taxes, right? I mean, California classically is a high growth area and they've got very high taxes, higher than us, right? Um, Massachusetts, Boston area has been growing leaps and bounds. They've got high taxes. You know, New York City, I mean, right? New York City is twice as expensive. It's the most expensive place in Connecticut, you know, um, you know, and that economy is growing. Um, you know, population may be a different question there, but, you know, I, I think, and on the reverse side, I, I think for the last 50 years, and again, this is not factual for sure, but kind of something close to it, you know, Mississippi's been the lowest tax state in the entire country, and like, you don't see that, economy growing by like leaps and bounds. So I I think there's a limit to that tax conversation. And I think we spend too much time talking about that because in my view, there's only two choices, right? And this is true in business as it is, I think, probably in government. We either upscale, meaning we have higher value, which means like higher prices, higher skill, higher pay, higher everything, right? Sort of like the iPhone mentality, right? Like when the iPhone was released, no one, the biggest knock was who's ever gonna spend $550 on a cell phone, right? Which seemed crazy at the time. Now the iPhone's like Mm $1,200, right? And everyone's buying, you know, not everyone, but a lot of people are buying iPhones, right? I think we can agree on that. So um, so I I think that's kind of an upscale. The other option is, you just keep cutting price and you just try and compete as the the low cost provider and i and i'm not sure i don't think that that's a great place to be and you can and you can see of the manufacturing jobs, for going back to that for a second, in Connecticut, a lot of like the low skill manufacturing jobs left Connecticut. They went to the Carolinas, then they went kind of further south into Georgia, then they went to Mexico, then they went to China, and now guess what? China's losing all those jobs to Vietnam, right? And and Vietnam's going to lose those to somewhere else. You know, I, I'm just not sure that Connecticut, that are that we're going to be served by trying to be the low cost provider. So I think we need to figure out. How can we upskill and upscale um, to get there? And I, and now you know my last kind of thought on that is, I think we just made bad investments. You know we've and and people and we're not you know we're not the first place that's done that. And you know I frame everything in what I know, which is business. And so, you know I think you can look at how many companies have made bad investments and bad choices, and I'll just use the iPhone quickly, and that's kind of my world, um, is like, look what happened to Microsoft, you know? They lost their way, you know? I mean, the Zune is a joke, right? The, the, the Windows phone doesn't, ba- I don't think it exists anymore. If it exists, no one has one, no. you know? It's like yeah. probably less market share than Blackberry. Look what happened to Blackberry, <laughs> you know? Um, so, but, but I think why Microsoft's a great example of that is now look where they are again. Right. They made some mistakes. They went the wrong way. But then they pivoted and realized, OK, we're not going to compete in the consumer electronics market. Like, I don't know why they ever thought they could. That's never been their bag. Right. Like they were never the, the, the cool toy. Why would they want to be the cool toy? Let Apple own that. But go back to your roots. And now, you know, Azure, their cloud platform is the fastest growing you know, platform year over year, you know, their stocks at an all time high and growing, you know, they're driving tons of value. And, and, and I think Connecticut needs to do the same thing, right? We need to understand where, what, what's the field we want to play on and let's play there and let's invest there. Um, and I think kind of arguing about, you know, income tax rates and all that, I think misses, misses the point.
1: That's right. We need to focus on being the iPhone of states. <laughs> I like I like that. That's I think a good
0: we should that's that. a good new slogan. Can I get
2: the iPhone of states? Yes. Yeah. We, well, there you are, go. we solved
0: it. We can go home now. Yeah.
2: Go. Problem solved. But I do think that's where it's at and I think you could get lawmakers potentially to get behind that and and understand that and and um you know it, it's going to take it's going to take priorities. And by the way, everyone's got us into this hole. you know, no one's got their clean hands, you know, um, the borrowing did not help, you know, um, we've got a lot of, um, and again, I'm not in the public sector, but you know, what I hear a lot is, you know, unfunded liabilities. Um, and so I kind of know what that means big picture, but that just means a lot of our money is getting spent paying off debt instead of buying new stuff, which is the price you pay for bad investments, which means the current investments need to be even better.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Um,
2: and companies I think can play a big role in that.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, from, from our conversation, it is it is it it is a perception thing. I We have a lot of high quality companies here who do a lot of good in the community. And, you know, maybe we don't celebrate that enough as a state and as an association. So that's something to focus on in
0: the future. Yeah, certainly.
2: Yeah. And take those opportunities. You know, I, I think CBIA has a unique position and a unique megaphone. You know, every like Uh, economic article that's published in the Hartford current and the Hartford business journal and, you know, the new Haven papers and all that, right? Like they're always asking CBIA for a quote from your economist for a feedback. And that puts CBIA in a position I would think to be able to help shape the conversation and turn it from a glass half empty to a glass half full from a let's list all the problems to let's focus on the solution. Right. You know, and sort of like drive that you know drive that forward Another yeah question. i
0: had i had like a couple rapid fire oh, do it. questions of Let's like favorite fire. favorite favorite, favorite places and things in connecticut oh jeez oh, no. <laughs> go for it <laughs> um so yeah uh, what's your like go to restaurant in connecticut Firebox in Hartford. Yes. I love that place. <laughs> so good. Um, do you have a go-to coffee? You mentioned to Sane in, yeah. earlier in the conversation. Do you have a go-to coffee <laughs> place? place?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the <laughs> thing is that my, I have, a, I have young kids now. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh-huh. They love uh, Starbucks cake pops. Oh, so yes. So what I want is really secondary, um, you know, to what uh, to what they want. And uh, plus being of technology, my wife loves herself some Starbucks app. So, uh, so I would say uh, where I frequent most often, um, is, uh, is Starbucks, but where I enjoy drinking coffee the most is, uh, on my back patio. Okay, perfect.
0: Um, do you have a favorite ice cream place in Connecticut? Whoa. Are you an ice cream guy?
2: Yeah. I love cookies and cream ice cream, okay. um, but, uh, <laughs> talking about kind of watching calories in calories out, <laughs> trying to kind of, uh, Less so now. manage, uh, manage that better. You know, I think friendlies has always, mm. uh, friendlies cookies and cream milkshake Um, which is like literally 1,400 calories if you have like the regular milk, so that's ridiculous, but uh, I love me some uh, Friendly's Cookies and Cream Milkshake.
0: Okay, great. Um, I noticed a couple um, Harford Harford Yard goats things around your office. Are you a Are you a big goats fan?
2: Yeah, yeah. Season ticket holder since day one. Yeah, go to a ton of the games. Um, I just uh, I like baseball. So um, once we kind of had an opportunity to have um, baseball here locally, you know, I wanted to um, you know be a supporter of that, and so we kind of got involved with that, and and we do it a lot. So uh, I go to a bunch of games, and we you know staff goes to a bunch of games and stuff. It's great. We did we did our uh, we do an annual kickoff party. for IT Direct. Um, Instead of the holiday party, we do a kickoff party for the year. And we did it at the Yargoats last year and we're doing it, or this, the 2019 kickoff and the 2020 kickoff are both at the Yargoats, which is cool. Awesome,
1: Very fun. You forgot to ask the most important rapid fire question. Favorite Connecticut craft beer. Oh
2: yeah. If you're a beer guy. Connecticut craft beer. Yeah, great question. Um, so you know, listen, this is embarrassing. I kind of got off of gluten a while ago, um, so so, you're I, a cider guy? so I'm really no. So i was so drinking whiskey. There's no gluten oh. in whiskey, right? Um, I, well, at least I taught myself there's not. So, um, so my favorite bourbon is a Berkshire Bourbon, which is a small batch. It's actually a Massachusetts bourbon, um, not a not a uh, not a Connecticut bourbon. Um, but um, from craft beer, there's like a New Park Brewing. There's a like a brewery on New Park have in. Uh, I think it's in West Hartford, or Mm -hmm. might be right on the edge. Yeah, it's like I don't know which. I don't know exactly what town it's in. Yeah, Um, but they got like food trucks there, and uh, the beers are beer there's really good. But I love all craft beer, so um, you know, (laughs) everywhere Hog River's really good. Mm -hmm. You know, Hooker Brewery's good. Mm -hmm. I mean, City Steam, Naughty Nurse. You know, hard to go wrong there. That's true. So I I mean, Connecticut. One thing Connecticut does have is lots and lots of good beer. No question about that.
0: What is your favorite place in Connecticut?
2: That's a really
0: good minus. My, minus maybe your house.
2: Right, yeah. right, really? uh, If you're a homebody. I was. I all. was already. Uh, I was already. How How would you? How would I define my favorite place? Um, Where you feel most
0: at peace or happy?
2: Yeah. So that would be home. So that, that's why I can't. <laughs> that's why. Um, that's why I can't say that. But I, I. But you know what I. You know what I've really loved doing in Connecticut, and um, and so I don't know if this is a favorite single place, but. Um, We don't really do it that much anymore with the kids, but uh, I have a convertible and my wife and I used to um, get in the convertible like in the summer and we would just put the top down and we would just drive and we would just like go and just wherever we would go. Sometimes we would just go out like, you know, just go down route two and then like, you know, through there drive, you know, drive up in like Litchfield and randomly just stop at places and, you know stop it at an antique shop or go to a random restaurant or randomly ended up at Willamantic brewery one time. Uh, Yeah. Which is great. Um, and it's just been so, that's just been something I've really enjoyed doing. You know, like I remember one time driving and we just turned out and ended up at the reservoir in Bark Hampstead. Um, and if you've ever been out to that thing and I'd forgotten all about that, I guess we used to go there as a kid and we just saw it and I was like, wow, this is so cool. Or, you know, we just sort of randomly end up at some places. Um, and I really always enjoyed that. And it really, I think, opened my eyes to how beautiful Connecticut really is and how we have so many different things. Right. Because I can be down at the shore and we can end up at a beach or I could end up in the hills, you know, the Litchfield Hills or, you know what I mean? Like and there was just old and new. And um, and so that's I think what I would when I think of like fun stuff, I do Connecticut outside. I think that would be I think that would be a, I think that would be it. Yeah,
1: that's a good one. Yeah,
2: I would agree with all of those. I'm a winner. But can I ask you guys a question? Am sure. Sure, yeah, please. Show? So why did you guys decide to do the uh, CT Biz podcast?
1: Well, we thought, um, you know, a lot of the modes of communication at CBIA are very traditional, and we thought this is kind of more in-depth way to reach out to our members and to kind of get to know them and for them to get to know us, kind of put a voice with the the CBIA logo. So uh,
0: Yeah, and... Uh, You know, I'm a big fan of podcasts. I think Alex is too. Um, And we just realized like how many stories we have to share of not only our members, but things that are going on around Connecticut, the different events we have. Um, We just have so much content. I wouldn't call it content, but we have so much to share and to tell. That you know, this is just one other way that's easily digestible. People can listen to it on their way home or in the office. Um, it's just very accessible. Exactly, and especially when it
1: comes to public policy, there's a lot of kind of heavier things that you kind of there's. It's not easy to fit into an email or a, a letter. So a podcast is a, a great way to kind of dive into those things a little bit more, like paid FMLA and the minimum wage hike. You know, ways to explain exactly what this means for you as a company.
0: Yeah. So really just to tell stories in a different way, in a new way. Podcasts aren't new, but right. new for us, new, yeah. <laughs> new for us. So
2: that's awesome. Well, I think it's great that you guys are doing it. And I think it's, uh, I, I, I every, yeah, those are awesome reasons. And I think getting it out there and having it out there is a great way to re-engage the community and do something different. And yeah, change, change is the key to success in the future, right? That's so right. Got to keep right changing.
1: Full
0: circle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love that. that was awesome. uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting us in and sitting down with us.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure. Thank you.